Welcome to the Pit Box Podcast. I'm John Satori. I mean, this time of the year, we normally look back at a season, and particularly the last six or seven, where we know who's going to win, uh, both drivers and constructors, and we're like, yeah, it was an okay season. I think it was a great season. You know, two races at the same venue, but changing compounds as we did in Austria and Britain. The returning Grand Prix that we went to, so Nürburgring. Um, uh, Imola was probably the most underwhelming. Um, but, you know, Turkey, what a great race that was. You'll never forget that uh, Lewis Hamilton drive in the rain. And then the new ones that we went to, Portimao was brilliant. Mugello was brilliant. And and also, um, you know, Sakia, that outer circuit. I think, to me, for me, I think that was the, the race of the season. And, that, and that's saying something. Um, at the other end of the scale, the unenviable job of reviewing what happened at the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix falls to James Underhay. He'll be getting into that in a moment. And we'll also be taking a look at all the latest F1 stories too. Right, so first up, before we get into the race review with uh, with Jimbo, a few things that have been going on. Um, the first one, of course, is that uh, the 23-race calendar for next year has been ratified by the World Motorsport Council. There's two triple headers in there. There's five um, double headers. Really tough. I mean, the Azerbaijan to Canada one, there's not a direct flight from Baku to Montreal. So that's a charter flight, obviously. And that's got to be, what, 12 hours? I know that from London to, to Montreal is the six and a half, seven? Something like that. Well, certainly six. So it's a, that's a tough call. I mean, at least they're going the right way because they're gaining a, a day as they go west. But either way, um, you know, the other ones sort of make a bit more sense. Uh, French Austria, US, Mexico, Saudi and, and Abu Dhabi, they're all pretty close together. Um, although Australia Bahrain isn't particularly close. But at the beginning of the season, you're sort of reasonably refreshed and that's too not not too much of a pain. Although I'm sure the the uh, the teams would like to have a bit more time out in a, in Australia. Um, but you know the, the triple header, the Russia, Singapore, Japan one. That's that's rather brutal. Um, I mean, again, they're going, I suppose, in the one direction, heading out from you know uh, east to Russia, uh, to Sochi, and then um, on to Singapore and then Japan. But either way, that's I really feel for the catering crew, all the support teams. You know, the, the drivers, you know, they they they're getting um, pretty well paid. And, you know, they've got the best facilities, but um, the catering crews, the mechanics, uh, you know, the engineers, you know, that support crew, they're away from their families for a long time, you know, 23 weeks minimum uh, for next season. And uh, they don't, you know, always have the best of uh, of uh, facilities either. I mean, they're good. I'm not saying they're not great, but they're certainly not as good as the drivers and they don't get uh, recompensed in the same way as the drivers either. But they put in a great, uh, a great shift. So uh, I do feel for those... Um, uh, those support crew mechanics and, and and catering people and all the likes that uh, that go and build the uh, the garages etc. Um, other interesting news: Josh Capito has been appointed, or he's going to become the Williams CEO. That's a really good appointment from Derilton Capital. Of course, uh, he was a part of the uh, Volkswagen World Rally Championship. He's been involved with BMW back in the day. I think he was a Paris Dakar uh, motorcycle entrant at one point too, wasn't he? Um, and of course, he most recently had a, a dalliance in F1 when he was in. I think was it 2016? He was going to be a CEO of McLaren. That didn't happen. Uh, I know that everybody I spoke to thought that he was a great operator and he's going to do a really good job. And I think it's a great thing for Williams. And just on the topic of Williams, really, really hope and uh, wish the best for Sir Frank, who um, we heard from uh, that uh, we that we heard rather that he's in hospital. Um, uh, you know, to Claire and the, and, and um, her brothers. I hope um, you know he has a speedy recovery. Um, he's an absolute legend of the sport and a, and a lovely guy to boot as well as they are as well as a family. So we hope um, yeah, everything is okay. 
Um, the other thing, uh, a major couple of other news stories that I wanted to talk about. Uh, Red Bull aren't going to be replacing Aston Martin, so they've got no title sponsor, obviously. Uh, they join pretty much every other F1 team on the grid. Uh, I think apart from what, Mercedes, Alpha... I mean, Alfa aren't really a... Well, I suppose they're a title sponsor. Um, but Alfa and, and, and Ferrari... Uh, sorry, Mercedes and Ferrari. Are there any others? I'm trying to think. I don't think there are any other title sponsors in any F1 teams. I could be wrong. It's uh, no big deal. But um, yeah, Aston Martin obviously will be um, what racing point are this year. I'm really looking forward to seeing the racing green. Uh, Haas, of course, the other interesting detail... Uh, sorry, the interesting story was whether or not they're going to reveal the details of what uh, action they're going to take against Mazepin. They have said that they're not. They've said what he did was abhorrent. They're correct. You know, one, one. Why would you want to do that? I mean, okay, even if she's your friend. I mean, I've I, even at that age, you know, when I was you know nineteen, twenty, whatever, I didn't act like. I mean, who acts like that? And I'm okay. It's not to say that it doesn't go on. I'm sure it does. But then to say, oh, it's a good idea. I'm going to video this because, well, why? And thirdly, oh, you know, I'm going to post this on my social media. Seriously. Um, anyway, so he deserves everything he gets, and I think he should be doing more than just saying he needs to hold himself to a higher standard. I think he needs to do some sort of action for, you know, some positive um, uh, uh, pro-women's group um, or charity or something like that to show he's serious, because that was just, well, yeah, anyway... I, I feel for Gunther Steiner because he's now in a, a pot of hot water once again, and he's now actually said, I'm, we're going to deal with it privately. You know, is that going to wash with social media and with everybody? I doubt it. There's going to be a lot of people wanting to know exactly what it is that they've done. And and it shouldn't be, oh, you know, we're going to get Mazepin's father to add a couple of zeros to the sponsorship. Um, because if that got out, that'd be disastrous. Um, but, uh, you know, what do you do? Do you turn down Mazepin and say, right, well, sorry, because of this, we're no longer taking you, and therefore... You know, the whole team and what's, you know, the reason they've taken him on. Okay, he's a decent driver, but it's a sponsorship, really, that they're more interested in. Of course, they could still go back to Checo if he doesn't get a Red Bull drive. But, you know, does Checo really want to be a part of Haas? There's lots of um, interesting, you know, close sort of links there, of course, with the US and, and Mexico. But would that happen, particularly if, if you know, Checo goes to Haas, which I'm, uh, goes to Red Bull, which I'm sort of thinking he will, uh, would that happen? And, and if it, he doesn't get a Red Bull, would it happen anyway? I, Probably not. But either way, um, the one shining light out of all this for Haas, of course, is that Mick Schumacher is going to be driving for them next year. That's a great appointment. It'll be really interesting to see his progress in the next two years. One person who'll be very keenly watching will be Carlos Sainz. You know, it's an interesting situation. I mean, Sainz, you can completely understand. You get an offer from Scuderia Ferrari. You take it. You know what I mean? Everybody wants to drive for Ferrari. But... He's got to see that his long-term future isn't there. Ferrari at the moment have got a glut of young drivers. And they've got at least one of them now in a seat. And they've got another two waiting in the wings. So Sainz would be looking ahead to 2023 and thinking, okay, are they going to ditch me or Leclerc or Mick Schumacher? Or... Because if Schumacher does the does the, does the the business in at Haas and shows enough... Um, patience and skill, the same way that George Willi- uh, George Russell has at Williams, then Carlos has got to be looking already uh, uh, to where he's going to be, and he needs to make sure that he gets the best results out of that car as close as possible, if not ahead of Charles Leclerc in every situation. Because for mine, his career depends on it. Um, it it's not to say that it'd be over if he if you know Schumacher gets promoted in two years' time, but you know. 
he's, he's certainly not going to get the nod over either of those guys. So this is a, a short-term gig, in, a, in all honesty, for Sainz. And it's a shame because, you know, his stocks have risen so much. He's such a... a he, he, he drives so well. He's a mature driver. He, his racecraft is good. You know, he's a part of that team at McLaren that have done so well this season without having the third fastest car. And yet between himself and Lando Norris, it's been neck and neck, and they've been able to secure a third. He's a great driver. He's an absolute asset to a team. But what he needs to now do is look at, okay, do I try and jump back to McLaren? Do I try and jump back to Red Bull? I mean, there's a possibility because Red Bull's driver academy stocks aren't particularly um, deep at the moment, and they used to be the sort of the envy of the paddock, didn't they? Um, so he's got, a, you know, he's got lots of options, I think. But as long as science, you know, continues to impress and do what he's done at McLaren, um, even if it's, you know, and I hate to use this like a, you know, a second driver role. Look, you know, we've got to be honest. Leclerc, if you like, is top dog there. I mean, he's the guy who's signed up to a, he's got a five-year contract. So. But it, you know, I I, I hope signs, um, and I'm sure he will, be able to put on and put in good performances in the next two years that'll secure his future in F1 because he really deserves it. But it's a it's a really interesting looking ahead thought that he's only got a two year deal at, at Ferrari and then he he's going to be out because Mick Schumacher has come on so well and he's a guy Carlos Signs who'll be really looking over his shoulder at. last race of the season and it uh well in some ways really a bit of a ball fest wasn't it it was the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix unfortunately for a race that is the finale for um what the past uh, what I think only since three times since 2009 has it not been the final race of the season but it just doesn't tend to be an absolute spectacular race unfortunately but anyway uh to Pick apart what happened uh, at Yas Marina, uh, James Underhay, mate. Um, it's it's a, a tough old rap for you because it's it's a really difficult race to find anything fantastically interesting to talk about. It is, John. I mean, I'm uh, you know I'm slightly saddened that we're coming to the end of the season, and um, you know I feel like we've uh, we've had some fun doing these podcasts over the last few months, but. Um, Unfortunately, I don't have really anything spectacular to tell you, and I will try and keep it exciting. Uh, I'll do my very best. But you're right; it wasn't a brilliant race, was it? It certainly wasn't a classic. Um, you know, right from the start, really. I think the you know, the, the sprint to the first corner often uh, creates a bit of drama, doesn't it? It kind of uh, can set the tone for a race sometimes. But in this case, it was absolutely flawless, wasn't it? There was uh, no contact, no drama. Uh, Max got away from pole fantastically, got a good launch, followed by Valtteri and Lewis, obviously into turn one, and and that kind of that was kind of it for those guys. Um, interestingly, behind uh, McLaren, obviously they started in fantastic positions. Carlos started sixth, Lando uh, a phenomenal fourth. I mean, how he he put that car in fourth in qualifying was just astonishing. But uh, kudos to him. Um, Lap two, Gasly, uh, he made a few moves throughout the race, and that'll be a theme throughout um, you know, the next couple of minutes of me talking. He did make a few great moves, actually. Um, he got past Ocon for ninth on lap two, and Gasly, as I said, slipstreaming his way past people would really become a, 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 the theme of his race um, as he made his way through the field. Um, now, I'm going to politely um, refer to it as the DRS fest because... <laughs> Frankly, that was pretty much, I think, the only places we saw moves were at the end of DRS zones. Um, that kicked off on lap six. Albon, 
Alex Albon obviously fighting for his seat at the moment, isn't he? Um, caught his good pal Lando and got past him for fourth in a DRS move. Um, Lando did fight back, interestingly, into the next four. He managed to get a pretty good run uh, down the, the following straight and um, and actually got ahead, almost a car length ahead. But Albon had him pretty much comfortably, uh, comfortably covered on the inside. So um, the positives to come out of that was for two young guys, obviously, that... Uh, pretty hot-headed probably in terms of you know needing to to, to create the right impression Albon in, in particular in that situation needing to make sure that he seemed to be doing everything he can no contact again it was nice clean fighting from both young guys a bit of respect there as well I think being pals um, lap nine Gasly again fired his way past his teammate Kvyat which uh, of course uh, put uh, Danny Kvyat under significant pressure or even more pressure than he was already under Having said that, I think decisions around his future have probably already been made at this point. Um, and then, you know, the the real drama, unfortunately, uh, of the race was Checo retiring, wasn't it? Um, lap 10, uh, Checo retired. There was an issue, we think, gearbox-related, transmission-related. Um, he got out of the car pretty, pretty devastated, as you can probably imagine. Some uh, brutal images of his uh, number one mechanic getting a consoling hug from Checo in the paddock afterwards. They were they were all gutted, weren't they? Because they were in this race for third in the constructors. It certainly wouldn't have been the uh, the way that Checo would have wanted to uh, exit Formula One if indeed he is going to. That remains to be seen, of course. Um, so uh, that retirement itself it brought out the virtual safety car and that allowed the leaders who had just been minding their own business at the front all to pit at that point. Um, and uh, and kind of do you know they, they they went through that that process of no one really benefiting from it. It was just a question of why well, everyone pile in, reload on tires, and uh, and out they go again. It was a bit of a train. Um, when the race restarted, I have to say I, I did expect the Mercs to potentially start to reel Max in a little bit. Um, you know, kind of you've just come to expect that in in any circumstance now. If if there's someone ahead of them, they tend to catch them up and get past them. But it didn't happen this time, uh, which was curious. Um, there's been a rumour, whether it's true or not, and even the drivers weren't sure exactly what had happened, that Merck had wound the engines back a little bit uh, on both uh, uh, the cars because of potential issues with the MGUK units on the cars. They, they felt that there was a risk of um, some uh, a, a lack of reliability, potentially, if one of those was to fail. So they wound the engines back, didn't have them under as much stress, and that's why it kind of almost balanced the field a little bit. They weren't able to catch Max. He was just out front doing his thing. Um, so uh, race for third being a key theme of, of this particular circumstance with Racing Point, obviously uh, McLaren, Renault kind of there or thereabouts. The McLarens were, just had a, a fantastic race. Carlos managed to get up past his 2021 teammate, Charles Leclerc, in, uh, in the Ferrari on lap 14. A uh, bit of a scrap there for probably 150 metres. And then once Carlos was through, that was done and dusted. Um, <clears throat> Gasly, his DRS crusade continued. Another move on lap 30. At uh, that time, it demoted uh, Lance Stroll, uh, another position. And that kind of really put the final nail in the coffin of Racing Points' chances of getting third in the constructors at this point. Um, pretty uninspired drive, I thought, from Stroll, considering there was a lot on his shoulders, obviously, with Checo out. But still... With that car, you'd have thought he could have potentially finished slightly higher. Um, and, and that was pretty much it, John. I'm really sorry. I don't have anything hugely uh, exciting to tell you other than that. Max was left to cruise to victory. It was his first flag-to-flag -flag win. So um, a bit of a 
check in the box there for him, I suppose. First flag to flag win in F1. And it was a good way, obviously, for, for Red Bull to finish the season. I know Christian Horner constantly mentions, you know, you've got to finish strongly because it gives them a bit of a boost moving into winter uh, and allowing them, obviously, to come out of the blocks or hopefully come out of the blocks pretty quickly next year. So they'll feel good uh, at Red Bull following the result for Max. Um, the race finished. Uh, ultimately, the top six was, obviously, Max Verstappen, uh, Valtteri Bottas, Lewis Hamilton, who didn't interestingly challenge Valtteri for pretty much the entire race. And I think some of that can be put down to his uh, post-COVID um, uh, uh, symptoms in terms of just feeling pretty pretty tired. Um, Alex Albon, fourth. Creditable fourth for Alex, I think, given the circumstances. Lando Norris, fifth. And Carlos Sainz, sixth. Um, you know, great result for McLaren. You know, what a, what a run for those guys in the final race when it really, really counted. Um, championship wise, obviously come to the end of the season. Now we know who won, of course, Lewis, 11 wins, uh, 347 points, Valtteri coming a distant second with only two wins to Lewis's 11, uh, which says a lot about the golf between those two drivers and the conversations that we've had recently, uh, about the, uh, uh, the, the difference there, whether it be car or driver, um, Max third, again, two wins for Max to Valtteri's two. Uh, and only uh, a, a few points behind with 214 points. Sergio Perez, well, not really sure what to say about that. Fourth in the driver's standings, his highest uh, finishing position in the driver's standings in his entire career in F1. And he picked up that absolutely golden win, um, first in 190 attempts, of course. Fourth, uh, sorry, fifth, excuse me, Danny Rick. Great season for Danny Rick. Um you know, pretty tough at times in that Renault, but I thought he drove fantastically throughout the season. Uh, and then Carlos in sixth. Uh, so taking a lot of confidence, no doubt, into his time at Maranello when that begins for next season. Uh, Constructor-wise, Mercedes, of course, absolute country mile ahead of everyone else. They finished on 573 points. Uh, the Red Bulls, of course, coming second with 319. So you can just see the difference there. It's just absolutely insane, isn't it, really, in terms of the... Uh, uh, the, the potential of that Mercedes versus the rest of the field. Uh, McLaren third, of course, we've just mentioned that. And Racing Point fourth, only seven points in it between those two teams. And I can't help but think that things would have been slightly different had Checo finished the race and not retired on lap 10 as he did. Uh, Renault in fifth place and Ferrari a very, very lowly sixth, which has uh, been much talked about in the press, as you can imagine, given their resource. Uh, and what they can put into uh, uh, Formula One and, and the team itself, um, and that's the thing is that it, it's it was talked about a lot, wasn't it? Because you know, sixth is their worst result since nineteen eighty, is it? Yeah, it's there or thereabouts. I mean, I, I haven't looked at the specifics, John. I find it too painful to be honest with you. But um, <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, I didn't, look, I didn't it, mean to do that. Actually, I didn't mean to do uh, that. Uh, fine. Yeah, look, the reality is, it is unacceptable. You mm. know, the Scuderia should not be in a situation where they are that far down the points table. And I'll tell you why, not just from a from a sentimental point of view or I just expect them to be there. They have more money to spend. They have, you know, they have the resource. They have everything in their favor to go out and build a race winning car. And in this particular situation, they have got it sorely, sorely wrong. So, um, 
you know, it's it's hard as a fan, as uh, as you all understand. But you know, I think nothing less than they deserve. At the end of the day, they they didn't do the business this year. The only shining light is uh, Charles's performances because I think he showed um, absolutely fabulous form at times throughout the season. Um, sad, really sad that Seb hasn't had a real positive swan song. Um, you know, the one positive of his season, getting that podium in Turkey, which was absolutely brilliant to see. But you know not where a guy of his ability and talent should be uh, struggling in a car like that. So, uh, look, no sympathy whatsoever. Gutted, but I just hope and pray that they come back stronger next year. And I have to say that they are very, very positive, very confident about their power unit for next year because they have spent an awful lot of time this season working on next year's engine. So um, they're confident. Let's hope that they bring out something really, really special from a power unit point of view. And then we can uh, we can start seeing them challenge a bit more because I don't think it was fundamentally a car problem. I think it was more power unit related, given the dramas around what happened last season. Yeah, it was you know twelve months to the day or to the uh, to the weekend that um, the irregularity, uh, if you like, uh, was first sort of <laughs> brought to the attention or brought brought to the attention of it first sort of noted in reports by but uh, in the F- by the FIA. So yeah, it's. Um, Let's hope that does get turned around. And, of course, you know, nobody at the beginning of the season would have been thinking that Ferrari would be finishing sixth. It was going to be you know, second or third at the very worst. So for them to to finish where they are is a massive underachievement. And, you know, uh, I'm sure they know that. You as a fan and all Ferrari fans would know that, and I think everybody else does as well. But anyway, we'll wait and see what happens next season. But, of course, talking of... Um, achievements uh yeah you know you, you touched on the the point about mclaren and of course the beginning of the season i'm sure they would have been thinking listen fourth would be pretty damn happy with that you know fourth is a, a good result considering they had fourth last year in 2019 they'd made um you know quite a substantial step up from 2018 uh, up into fourth so they were thinking you know we'll be pretty happy to to be in behind red bull ferrari and, and mercedes thank you very much but for them to get third and it wasn't guaranteed at the beginning of the race either. You know, we know that you know that that double podium from Racing Point at the Sakir Grand Prix was completely unexpected, and it really um, rocked McLaren. I think um, not that they could do anything apart from what they've been doing all season anyway about that, um, but they really weren't expecting it. You know, twenty odd points, I think, or twenty three, twenty four points, I think, uh, going into uh, the second last round. Surely, and I'm pretty sure I know that they were thinking that this—it's not in the bag because you never, you'd never expect that. You never, you know, you don't want to count your chickens, but you do think, okay, well, you know, we've got to keep our heads down, even if we score minor points here, we'll we'll get third. And um, they were, uh, they they weren't in a good place, I don't think, heading into Abu Dhabi. But as they've done all season, James, they continued to put their head down. And they got a, a probably a better result than they expected at a circuit that I don't think particularly suits that car. No, absolutely. They would have been gutted after Sakir, wouldn't they? You know, watching Checo win and uh, Stroll cruise home third. Hmm. The, that was a hammer blow, I think, at the time. Um, and I have to admit, you know, I, I wasn't that confident in McLaren's chances this weekend just because you yeah. expected Checo to put in a really solid performance and get some really, really good points um, stroll to be there or thereabouts and it was going to be an uphill struggle um, but 
well, you know, it just shows you what can happen, doesn't it? You know, uh, I mean, you know, I'm sure that at the beginning of the weekend, they thought, you know, this is going to be tough because Checo is going to have a brand. Uh, sorry, at that point, they didn't know he was going to have a brand new power unit. But when that came about, they thought, OK, well, there's a, you know, a little ray of hope, little glimmer of hope that we might be able to do something here because Checo is going to be starting at the back, but he's going to be. You know he's going to have at his disposal brand new engine. I think it was a brand new uh, MGU or certainly turbo, and a, and he'll charge through because that car is pretty much the third fastest car on the grid. They then of course halfway ten laps into the race wasn't even halfway through as you said. Uh, Checo pulls over to the side, and I think then they started to believe that actually this could happen. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right indeed. And, and you know, he, he don't forget, he came from behind insecure, didn't he? He was dead yeah. last after the first yeah. corner and he saw what that car was capable of chopping the rest of the field up. Um, okay, it was a bit of luck in terms of getting through and winning the race, but you would have expected him to, I would have thought, minimum kind of maybe top six had he yeah. been in the race. Um, so, uh, yeah, um, amazing, amazing for, for McLaren, obviously, that... I think Zach Brown's such an, an incredible kind of cheerleader for the team, isn't he? He's got that U.S. kind of spirit, that patriotic uh, American uh, ability to to really hype people up. And it was lovely watching him leap off the pit ball at the end and and, and just realizing what they'd achieved. I think no doubt the uh, the biggest celebration out of out of that race was uh, was McLaren's success in getting third in the constructors. Yeah, I mean he's an out and out racer as well. I mean he races cars, he's got lots of them, and uh, he just loves the battle. Um, you know he's an absolute racer. But uh, it would you know I it reminded me of what happened at the beginning of the season. You know they bookended. A, a great 2020 because they got an unexpected podium at, at the Austrian Grand Prix. You know, when I, I still remember Zach striding down the pit lane in Austria back in July, you could see the smile through his COVID mask. And, uh, you know, it was the same again in Abu Dhabi. And he's done a really good job along with Andreas Seidel and, you know, all the team. It's been a real team effort for them to get to third position in the Constructors' Championship. Yeah, for sure. You've got a interesting. I think you've got a bit of yin and yang in uh, him and Andreas Seidel, haven't you? In terms of Seidel, comes across very, very calm, very laid back, very quiet, very calculating, uh, relaxed. He kind of feels he feel like he's a very calming influence across the whole team. And on the other side of that, you've got Zach, who's obviously firing cannons and waving flags and cheering. And and I think it works quite nicely. Those two opposites. You know, that old phrase, opposites attract. I think between them, they've got quite a nice balance across the team of of that ability to, to go out and, and methodically go through processes and make sure they're getting things right on a Grand Prix weekend in Seidel. And yet you've obviously got that cheerleader there as well, whipping the team up and making sure that they're extracting every ounce of ability out of themselves and the car on weekends. So um, it certainly seems to be working very well. Seidel's you know, very well thought of there as well, isn't he? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, that that um, performance side of the team or, you know, the track side side of the team is, is where Andreas is very strong. And, um, I mean, he's obviously got a lot to do with what happens back at the factory as well. But, you know, the pit stops, it wasn't quite a double shuffle at the weekend, um, but it was close too. And, you know, those mechanics now, even though they may not set the fastest pit stop time, um, you know, they, I think uh, they go back to Monza and they had a proper double shuffle and that was when Carlos got his podium and they did a double shuffle there and both pit stops were exactly the same time, 2.68 seconds. 
And, wow. you know, that, yeah, yeah it's, that's sort of, and that is where they've made a big improvement. Yep, they may not be as fast as Red Bull, who can do a world record 1.8, but we know, which is, okay, nearly a second faster. But at the end of the day, you want to make sure that, and I think there's a slight difference in technology as well between the Red Bull um, uh, guns and, and, and associated bits and pieces compared to McLaren. So I don't think McLaren and, and other teams will ever be as close as Red Bull uh, or as fast as Red Bull until that's addressed. But um, either way, you know, you, you, you bet. Sorry? They've got crazy jack systems on the front and the rear of the car and all sorts of things. So they're kind of almost almost forces the car up and down a lot quicker than it would do with uh, some of the kit that the other teams use i think yeah but it's also something to do with the with the guns and the nuts that they use and how they go on um it has been explained to me i've been told about it before and i can't quite remember what it was but but either way you know with even though it's a second or you know just under a second difference that can make the difference in an f1 race of course but um, what McLaren, I think, are not trying to do now is to get the fastest. They they just want to be reliable and make sure that they they get the car back out, you know, because you know a second or you know eight tenths of a second is retrievable, whereas five seconds, if you make the mistake, isn't. Absolutely, yeah, like a well-oiled machine, a metronome. I think is that what you call it, where it's just. Yep ticks over it just does the business well it's that consistency isn't it and you know you and i have had this chat before about that and i we sound like we're, we're pounding on about mclaren at the moment but um you know that consistency across the season has seen them into third place yeah for sure there's no doubt about it and um and regardless of whether you're a mclaren fan or not yeah it's very nice to see them there or thereabouts you don't expect teams of, of that kind of grand background and legacy such as the team of mclaren uh to be is scrapping around well at one point not so long ago at the back of the grid um mm. to see them up there fighting and actually involved in real racing now as opposed to picking up the scraps is it's good to see it's good for the sport and and again you know let's look at um and I, you always go back to racing point and it sounds like we're always bashing them but considering what car they had and i think you'd agree that that's you know pretty much the third best car on the grid but you look at that driver pairing and it's very lopsided as to who brings who's brought home most of the points and it's been Checo. Um, I think, you know, the Sakir race, it was a very um, plain drive to third, if you like, for Lance Stroll. Whereas, and I suppose, you know, a lot of the attention was always going to be heaped on Checo, his first race when he won it from the back of the grid, et cetera, et cetera. But um, it was a, a sort of, not a fan. I don't know. It just wasn't a, a brilliant dr- a drive to third for him. But overall, across the season, that's pretty much been the way it is. He's had occasional flashes, but it's not that consistency that McLaren have. And I think that's what Red Bull. Uh, I think that's what Racing Point going into next year they need to address. They've got to get two drivers scoring equal points. Yep, they have. Um, you know, it's uh, well. Uh, it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see what happens with Seb at what will be Aston Martin, isn't it? You know, if he re, he, he he can score points, we know that, right? Mm. Um, you know, they're they're replacing Checo with someone that is a, a proven winner and a, and a proven world champion. Um, Stroll, I feel for all of the grief he gets, and I'm I'm not I have to say I'm not a massive fan of his. Um, I feel like he has made progress. You, yeah. I don't think you can deny that he's made progress throughout this season, um, and there is still a lot of work to be done um he would probably admit that himself if they could get those two working well together then suddenly it creates a totally different force doesn't it it creates a much a much bigger machine um 
it's whether he can harness what he has that 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 ability that he does have and, and kind of eliminate the the silly mistakes and the bad decisions that he has from time to time yeah it it's but again it's just i haven't found it to be a balanced um driver pairing and yeah. and again you look at you know mclaren that's a pretty balanced driver pairing considering what that car you know where that car fitted into the um into the pecking order and it was at best fourth um depending on the circuit and sometimes renault was quicker than it but um and again we you know we we looked at the driver pairings and and how much each driver has contributed to that each team's constructors points and apart from mclaren every other team certainly in the top 7 all the way down to alpha tauri uh, it has been one driver one side of the garage that has got a majority of the points by at least 60 65% some in some cases up to 70 75% so that's a worry for i think you know and we're going to talk about red bull in a second because red bull that's a concern as we know with alex albon they're going to make a decision about that before christmas it's going to be a concern for i think still racing point next year seb will take over the position of checo um it's going to be a concern for uh renault as well because I was a little bit disappointed with Esteban Ocon. I don't think he showed the sort of fight that he did the last time he was driving for Racing Point either. No, he didn't. He definitely didn't. There was, um, I think, there was a period of time where maybe in his own mind he expected to to sort of stroll back into the car and and just be quick and be competitive again because he certainly was when he was at Racing Point. Um, there was a real fighter spirit mm. about him as well. You know, there was a few moments where he ruffled some feathers and so on and so forth. We didn't really see that this year. He was pretty quiet, wasn't he? Um, and, you know, and and back in those racing point days, he was racing against Perez. You know, Perez fired him up. Remember, there was banging of wheels on a couple of years in a row. I mean, I certainly remember at least one occasion where they banged wheels going into O Rouge. And I think it might have been two years in a row. You know, it was like he was showing some enormous fight, but there just didn't seem to be that fight in him. Or is Daniel Ricciardo that much better than Sergio Perez? Well, that's a really hard one to answer, isn't it? Because not really seeing them in, e- in equal machinery. But I, you know, I think Danny Rick is you know, a real, a real quality uh, uh, driver. I think he's Daniel Ricciardo. You know, look, he's come fifth in the uh, in the driver standings this year. Um, yeah, and in the fifth quickest car. Yeah, I know, but there's other drivers that could have been ahead of him in mm. quicker cars. Ultimately, you talk about Albon, for example. You know, class above him. Carlos Sainz had a you know, did a great job getting getting to where he did, but I think Ricardo that Renault there, there hasn't been the consistency in the Renault. Um, you know, something like the Racing Point has been pretty much consistent all over uh, wherever it's gone. Um, and for for Ricardo to be up in fifth, and where did Stroll finish? Stroll finished what tenth, eleventh mm. in the drivers' standings. You know that that's that's the, that's the quality and the experience that you're seeing in Daniel. He got the very most out of that car, and with Ocon. He showed massive fighting spirit in his first spell um, in, in a reasonably competitive car when uh, at a racing point when he was there. Um, there were there were incidents that I think you could put blame on him. There are incidents where I think you can actually put blame on on, on Checo as well in those circumstances because they came together a lot and there wasn't particularly you know good relationship there either. He came back into F1 this year probably expecting to be a little bit more competitive and ultimately was put back in his box i think really by daniel's uh, quality daniel got in that car and got the most out of it every single weekend he could uh, unless it let him down um i think you know we've we've talked about the fernando alonso factor will ocon be able to handle that i think ocon's last three or four outings 
have been remarkably improved on what we've seen from the rest of the year of him. And I think it'll be a good kind of grounding for him this year to realise that there are bigger dogs out there. You know, it's not about going out there and, 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 and you know, barking as loud as you can. You just need to pump those consistent uh, performances in and the results will follow. Uh, obviously, him picking up the second in um, Sakir behind Cheka, I think it was, wasn't it? Mm, yeah. Uh, in Sakir, picking up that second would have been an immense confidence boost for him. And actually, that race, he just did his job. There was no crazy moves or anything like that. Okay, yes, he did pick up the pieces from a pretty uh, hectic start of the race, but he just did his job. He drove uh, well, he drove smoothly, he drove quickly. Uh, and the result was there for him. So it's not about fighting. It's just about making sure that he's putting in solid performances. So I think we're going to see a better Esteban Ocon next year. But but I think he needs to as well, because, you know, the rest, of the, I, you know, I don't think the most of his season has been, has been good enough um, for, for that car. And he's got what a two year deal, which, you know, uh, end of 2021 is when it finishes. I think it was a two year deal, wasn't it? Because he's a Merck young driver. Um, if he doesn't do something, and, and this is where it's going to get tough, because if he thought Ricardo was, Ricardo was tough, he's got um, you know the man who's probably the best at mental disintegrating a, a teammate in Fernando Alonso uh, next door to him, and that is going to be a, an even tougher hill to climb. And I don't, you know, if if he doesn't, if Ocon doesn't turn that around and, and get more consistent performances and and better results, and of course a lot of the time it's always car dependent, but. I think you'll find maybe a Pierre Gasly knocking on the door uh, or even Renault looking at someone like a Pierre Gasly because Gasly showed incredible fight this year in in the Alfa Tori. I mean, there's some people who have been voting him, you know, pretty close to being the, the driver of the year. Um, you know, so I think Ocon's got a lot of homework to do and he's got, got a fair bit of improving to do and it's going to be difficult to do it next year, but he needs to. Otherwise, he could find himself on the outer. Yeah, no, he, he's under pressure. There's no doubt about that. Um, he, he could very well, if he has another uh, hit and miss season, yes, I think he, he will be um, lucky to keep his seat. But it's about his approach now, isn't it? Is he going to be uh, slightly more mature about it after you know, being being through what he's been through already? Um, you know, we, we mentioned Alex Albon last week, didn't we? And, you know, the fact that a year could potentially actually, a year out could potentially be the best thing that ever happened to him. Ocon's had that now. He's come back. Um, he's got back in the car. He hasn't, uh, absolutely shone but um, I, I just feel that if he approaches things the right way next year and the car continues to develop I think he can be a really really good number two mm. I think he can be better than that longer term but when you've obviously got the Alonso situation going on it, it, there's a good chance he's going to be the number two I think he can be a consistent uh, number two and pick up points on the regular um, providing he approaches things the right way, John. But it's those seasons, like seasons next year, are ones that that make you either a, a number two forever for mine, um, or potential number one. And if you don't, you know what I mean. That this that next season for him is going to be the season that will define where he is on in, in a garage for mine. Yeah. Um, and if he doesn't get it right then and as I say it's got a real tough gig but even if he doesn't beat Alonso he's just got to show enough fight and be not too far off Alonso's tail because to beat Fernando Alonso you've got to be one of the very best and I, I don't like his um you know his chances there but you never know um just just quickly I mean obviously we I don't want to go too much into that but just to to um say that we've we've uh, talked about it uh the whole check out a Red Bull thing of course that's still quite a possibility um 
we know that Albon is uh, going to find out his fate before Christmas, so he's got another week and a half. Um, just quickly, I mean, I don't think they'll go with him. If if Red Bull are in any way concerned about their second placing in the championship, and there's a big gap between second and third, there's no doubt. But if you know what you're telling, what you're saying about Ferrari is correct, in i.e., they're going to be sorting their engine problems, then. Red Bull needs someone who can score points alongside Max Verstappen in the same vein. And and I don't think at the moment that's Alexander Albon. And I don't think Red Bull will take the punt. I think they'll say, listen, I think you need a year off. We would love to have put you into the Alpha Tauri just to, you know, do what to revitalize you the same way that we have done with Pierre, but we don't have that option at the moment. So maybe just a year off to um, you know, get your head sorted. And I think that I get the feeling they'll put Checo in there. Yeah, I, I, I think well, Checo was very coy after the, the race in Abu Dhabi, wasn't he? He was interviewed by Sky, which is the footage that I saw, the uh, uh, the, the usual kind of post-race chatter. Um, and he was very, very, he handled it very well. He didn't really give anything away, but equally he also didn't close any doors. Um, I think we're going to get an announcement about this fairly soon. Um, I'm not sure it's right to put Alex Albon through it, for the next week and a half before Christmas. Uh, I think they're going to get something done and dusted, whether it be back end of this week, maybe early next week, just to put him out of his misery more than anything else, because it must be awful. Mm. Um, you know, a, a, and as you say, Red Bull's situation could change dramatically from being comfortably the number two side uh, or team in, on the grid, um, you know, to potentially, if Ferrari sort their act out, McLaren continue to develop, Renault continue to develop, all of a sudden that might become a, a three or four way scrap for second and third place. Uh, as opposed to uh, Red Bull just having it kind of all their own way. So they'll want those points that Checo can offer as well. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, going back to what we were saying earlier, to have an even driver, um, an even garage where both drivers are consistently scoring similar points is is really crucial. And uh, that uh, could be very crucial, I think, with uh, with uh, Red Bull next year. Um, obviously, the news came down that Yuki Tsunoda has now been confirmed um, at Alpha Tauri for 2021. So Danny Kvyat, that looks like we've seen the last of uh, the torpedo. Um, I did like Danny Kvyat. There were some times where he didn't drive particularly cleverly, but I always had a little bit of a soft spot for him. I, I like he just seemed to like him as a person. He was just like a genteel sort of um, sort of guy, and uh, I sort of feel sorry for him. But he's had his opportunities, hasn't he? Yeah, he's been around a long time. Um, uh, my my views on the, on this is uh, is very 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 clear. Ultimately, John, I think there are certain drivers in F1 who've been around and they've taught the talk and they've moaned and they've uh, you know uh, rejected criticism um, and and kind of you know thrown their toys out of the pram from time to time when things didn't go their way uh, and eventually start to run out of kind of credits. You know, people stop believing your your hype. Mm. Uh, Kvyat certainly you know believes his own hype, and I think you've got to if you're going to survive in the sport. But he's been around a long time now. He's had opportunities. Um, I think that it's the right time for him to be stepping back. And I've said that before, and I, I, I stand by that. And uh, and obviously now uh, um, uh, Yuki coming in is a great opportunity. He, he He's, what, first Japanese driver on the grid since Kamui Kobayashi back in 
what, six, seven years ago, 2014. Yeah, 2014. Um, you know, and it's good for the sport to have a Japanese driver in there with Honda and, and, and all of that stuff going on as well. So great opportunity for a youngster who's impressed and time for uh, Kvyat to step aside. Yeah, and of course, it'll be interesting to see how, you know, obviously with Zenoda going to AlphaTauri, that is uh, going to help out Red Bull with the whole um, engine issue that they've got, whether they can do that deal uh, with Honda about the IP and you know, taking over the... Um, the, the factory or the engine uh, department that they Honda have set up over here in the UK, it would sort of seem to make a lot of sense and um, it could be a, the way forward. So, uh, but yeah, he's, he's deserved it. Hasn't Yuki Sonoda? He's, he's come from nowhere really, hasn't he? He's sort of starred in 2019, 2018, 2019 in, um, in formula three, he's come out of nowhere and he's, he's got the goods. Um, the other thing, and I meant to uh, bring this up early when we were talking about the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix, um, and that is it's something Daniel Ricciardo brought up as well. We were talking about this boring race um, and you know, what should they make some changes to this Yas Marina layout? Because, as you said, you know, it's really just two, D, two DRS zones in a sector. Sector three, you know, you, you're not doing anything apart from keeping your nose clean through there, keeping your car wide. Just You just can't make a mistake. But that's the only way anybody's ever going to get past you. And apart from maybe the exit at turn 19, where we've seen a couple of drivers over the years you know, clip that, there's not much exciting um, going on in that third sector. Um, and, um, you know, I, I think they need to, to do something with it. I'm not sure whether or not they can. I'm not sure. Is there another circuit that's built around that or is there other alternatives like they've got at Bahrain? But I think they need to do something because it, it's never, ever really produced a, a brilliant race. And it's the finale of the season, for goodness sake. That's my that's my biggest problem with it, John. That is my biggest problem with it. You know, a, a circuit, look, certain circuits lend themselves to close racing a little bit more than others. Um, this one consistently disappoints doesn't it in terms of the quality of the race um i think there are alternate layouts there uh but not dramatic changes that would necessarily really change the fundamental you know the the the, the core of the, the the racing there um the other the thing ultimately i i guess you know it sounds pretty blunt but there's plenty of money in that part of the world right i, I don't <laughs> think that's the issue if they wanted to make changes they could remodel without really having to worry about the financial side of things. You know, if you were talking about some of the races that you know, barely scraped deals together and just ma- managed to stay on the calendar because of their historical, um, you know, ties to Formula One, it'd be slightly different. But in Abu Dhabi, if they wanted to make wholesale changes to that, that venue, that location, and it meant they potentially missed one race, uh, you know, one year of, uh, of a Grand Prix to make sure that all of that was done and dusted, they could do that, let's be honest. Um, it's It's not it's not good enough i think it's really really boring to see you know flag to flag race wins are never that mm. exciting um and this was the perfect example of that you know you were looking for something extreme to happen whether it be an accident a, a car failure or something like that for that to create the drama of the race um but as it happened everyone went out there was only one retirement and that was checo and that was a car failure nothing else um there was borderline i think it was barely any contact whatsoever it was just about who could tee themselves up for that next drs zone um and then defend until they could kind of break the the, the drs one second uh, um kind of uh, uh, string that those drivers are kind of stretch out between themselves so um 
yeah it's I, I don't know kind of pretty uninspired by it really and, and, and I just hope that something can change moving forward because the finale of a, a Grand Prix season needs to be somewhere um, you know that, uh, that, that, that that gives you a lot more of a spectacle than that it, it was interesting I mean it, it was exactly the sort of race that McLaren wanted <laughs> for them yeah. to secure third wasn't it you know to, to be able to uh, you know uh, qualify well as what uh, as Lando Norris did, and uh, Carlos uh, wasn't too far behind either. And for them, it was ag- absolutely the perfect race for them to secure third because there was such little movement um, anywhere. Um, so it certainly worked in their favour. But as you say, you know Max Verstappen, and look, you've got to pay tribute to Max. That was a that was a good race and and well run from him, um, Alexander Albon. He did a a decent enough job to to get fourth, but in those conditions, it sort of devalues it a little bit, I think, because there wasn't much action. There, you know, all the the big threats, and I'm talking about racing points here, and they would normally be the ones who'd be, um, you know, a threat to, to Albon getting um, as high as he did. They weren't there. You know, uh, Checo was at the back, and of course, in the end, after ten laps, he was gone anyway. So, um, but yeah, I, you know, I think they've got to do something about that. It's it's not a particularly great way to uh, to finish off your year. Um, but anyway, look, that was it, and uh, that is the season. Seventeen races have been completed. It's amazing to think that back in July, we probably didn't think we were going to get to this many races. Certainly, when we're in April, no one thought there was going to be even a season. And all the mechanics and the engineers and all the support staff, all the hospitality crews, uh, marshals, the whole lot, um, everybody involved in F1, they've done an absolutely phenomenal job to be able to put this show together and to do it with so few COVID positive tests. I think they were saying like 78,000 and there was 78 positives, I think, across the season. So they've done exceptionally well. It's going to be um, interesting how they get themselves to Australia, of course. Uh, That's going to be the first round for 2021. Australia is a completely different kettle of fish when it comes to getting uh, people into the country. As far as uh, the uh, the COVID uh, uh, issues are concerned, believe me, I know all about it. It's a 14-day um, isolation in a hotel, but I get the feeling that's not really going to be um, an option for 2,000-odd team members next year. So let's hope that Formula One are, are devising some sort of plan in conjunction with the Australian authorities to be able to get them all in there without having to do two weeks. Because that, that just won't happen. Um, they, to do, you know, they have teams hold up for two weeks prior to the se- season starting um, and may all be well be tied in with the vaccine or goodness knows what. But uh, let's hope that happens. But James, mate... Um, uh, it's not over yet, of course. Uh, we're not far away from Christmas, but we will have a Christmas edition next week. Thank you very much for your uh, race review, mate, and uh, look forward to catching up with you uh, next week. Absolutely. Look forward to it, John. So there we go. That is another Pitbox podcast uh, in the bottle. If um, We're going to do a, a, a Christmas special, if you like, and a, a complete look back at um, the season. Uh, not going into every race, but probably you know, highlights, lowlights, the biggest shock, the biggest shocker, um, sort of things like that. If it's something that sticks out in your mind that you'd like to actually uh, point out to us or you'd even like to come on the podcast and, and, and talk about, uh, get in touch on the social media handles at Pitbox Podcast on both Twitter and Instagram uh, and also at Adori Media. Um, but, uh, yeah, we're going to do that next week, almost, if you like, uh, sort of like a, a Christmas special. But hope you enjoyed it. Of course, uh, give us a review and give us a subscribe, and we look forward to doing it again next week.